Exodus chapter 9. The Bible has heroes and villains, and tonight we are studying a villain. This man is so dishonored by the Bible that I don't think it records one good thing that he did. Adolf Hitler, though a wicked man, was said to give very good presents on holidays. But nothing good is recorded about this man. In fact, in order to dishonor him even more, his name is not recorded. Is there a word that you like more than your name? Probably not. If we say your name, you turn. And you secretly like it when that name is said. The Bible dishonors this man by simply recording his title, an ancient Egyptian word for king. You know him, he is Pharaoh. We have one verse for our text this evening, but we'll look all around in this story to see what we're going to learn. But let's read tonight Exodus chapter 9, verse 27. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous. And I and my people are wicked. Here is Pharaoh as a model of lying, cruelty, deceit, hypocrisy, and false humility. In fact, the entire battle between Moses and Pharaoh is a conflict about humility. Look at chapter 10, verse 3. Why is God confronting, Moses, uh, confronting Pharaoh? It says it right there, chapter 10, verse 3. Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long until you do what, Pharaoh? Humble yourself. That's it. There is one issue at stake here. The greatest commandment is to love your God, but Moses does not bring that up with Pharaoh. There's one issue, Pharaoh. You have to humble yourself. Well, in Exodus 9.27, we have this terrible, timeless example of false humility. In fact, 400 years later, and 400 kilometers away, the Philistines are still talking about this man. In 1 Samuel chapter 6, which I just preached on in Valdesia today, the leaders of the Philistines, their religious leaders, their priests, are talking to one another. And as they're talking, they say, I think it's time to return the ark to Israel. Because you remember Pharaoh, don't you? They think back to this time, 400 years earlier. And remember, there are no newspapers. There is no internet. There's not even easy means to travel. There are no schools. There are very, very few books. How did the Philistines find out about something that happened 400 years earlier? It passed around. God made sure. I want everyone to know this man's name. Or at least his title, which will stand for his name. And so he meets Moses for the first time in chapter 5, verse 1. When Moses is 80 years old. 80 years old. And he's got to deal with Pharaoh. This is not the original Pharaoh. In Exodus chapter 1, the Bible says, A man who did not know Joseph took power 
And then that man dies. He was the one whose daughter took Moses out of the river. But that man dies and it's his son or another political faction because oftentimes there were political wars where another man would take power. And some man comes in now. After Moses has run away to Midian, he's been gone for 40 years. Moses' life breaks into three sections. 40 years in Egypt. At 40 years, he kills a man. Then he leaves to Midian to a desert place to be a shepherd for 40 years. Do you think God's taking a long time with your life? He took 80 years before he gave Moses his job. At 80 years old, Moses comes back and God says to him, I'm going to make you strong. I know you're 80, but you're going to keep going. He comes back at 80 years old and meets this Pharaoh. But the great thing that God is doing here is not only teaching the world about humility, but he's also conquering all other religions. I commonly bring this up in my preaching. That it's Christianity against all other religions. We'll fight them all and we'll beat them all. All of them are ganging up against our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me prove that to you. Go to chapter 12, verse 12. Exodus 12, verse 12. In the last plague, I will pass through the land of Egypt tonight. And I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both of man and animal. And when I kill the firstborn, who am I really attacking? I'm going to execute my judgment on gods. Not one god. All of them. I stand against Buddha and all of the Hindu gods. I'm against the atheist's god, and atheists do have a god. I'm against the Islamic god. I'm against the Egyptian gods and the Philistine gods, and the gods of the Ammonites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Hivites and the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Parasites. I'm against every one of those gods. And I stand up to throw them all down. Well, in chapter 7, 8, and 9, we have the first seven plagues. Some historians said that the ten plagues focused on the ten gods of Egypt. They say that the Egyptians worshipped the Nile River. And so the Nile River was turned into blood. They say the Egyptians worshipped different animals, and so God killed the animals. The Egyptians worshipped the sun, so in plague number eight, God shuts out the sun. They say the Egyptians worshipped, I'm sorry, plague number nine, God cuts out the sun. I don't know if that's true. It's hard for me to see that the Egyptians worshipped lice. But I do think there is something here. With every one of these plagues, God is saying, I have power. I start it, and I stop it. Pray to them. Pray to your gods. Bow down to them, and see if they can start it or stop it. In fact, in the first three plagues, the Egyptians try to start it and then stop it. Because when they turn the water into blood... The Egyptian prophets, do you know what they do? They do something very foolish. They also turn water into blood. Which reminds us that Satan has power to do miracles, but not to do anything good, because they couldn't change the water from blood back into water. If you were Pharaoh, wouldn't you fire those men? Why are you turning more of our good water into blood? I want you to turn it from blood back to water. But God is executing judgment against them because their gods can do some tricks. Go ahead, do some tricks. Turn your rod into a snake. They did that. 
But can they do what's even more powerful? Can they stop it? No. That's why even though they can create frogs, they can call frogs, they can't send them away. Pharaoh tries to get them to send the frogs away and eventually has to call Moses. This is a judgment against the gods of Egypt. And here, in this seventh plague in chapter 9, Pharaoh humbles himself with the hail. Hail has come down and has destroyed it has destroyed cattle, crops, buildings, roofs. It has killed people and it has even started fires. Verse number 24 says somehow there was fire mixed in with the hail. In verse 27 Pharaoh realizes our gods can't stop this. We can't do it. And this is where Pharaoh humbles himself. And his humility is very common today because it is false humility. I want to ask you four questions tonight. How can we identify false humility? Why is false humility evil? What can we do with people who show false humility to us? And what can we do if we find it in ourselves? Those are the four questions we're going to ask. And this passage will help give us the answers. And the message tonight is very simple, very short. Some humility is a mask to protect the sinner's sin. Sometimes when your husband apologizes, it's a trick so that he can go on with his sin. Sometimes when the people at work say, oh, I'm sorry, they're lying to you because they want permission, they want a door, they want a shortcut, they want an escape route to go on with their sin. That's the point of the sermon. Point number one, how can we identify false humility? Let me give you seven marks of false humility. Chapter 9, verse 27 False humility advertises itself as if it were true humility. Chapter 9, verse 27. I have sinned. Wow. He's acting as if he's humble. True humility does not advertise. False humility does. Point number two, second mark of false humility. False humility finds that words come easily. Look at this. He just bumbles out his words. I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous. I and my people are wicked. He's just throwing out words. Look at verse 28. Oh, go to the Lord and ask him. It is enough. That there be no more mighty thunderings and hail. I will let you go and you will stay no longer. Blah, 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 blah. Watch out when people keep talking. Watch out when they just pour out their words. It's very rare that that comes from a humble heart. Remember the Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisee said, I thank you that I am not like other men, fornicators and unjust, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of everything that I possess. He goes on and on and on. What does the truly humble man say? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Four words in Greek. The other man can't shut up. The humble man is afraid even to talk. Mark number two, false humility pours out words. Mark number three, it's in verse 28. False humility desires relief 
more than freedom from guilt and sin. Look at verse 28. Ask the Lord, it is enough. Take away the thunder and the hail. His words are largely about the pain and discomfort in his life. Does he talk about his lifelong of cruelty to those poor Hebrew slaves? Does he say anything about his previous six lies to Moses? Does he talk about his previous blasphemy of Jehovah? Take away the pain. You see, this is again the evil of the prosperity religion. It so badly wants the pain of this life gone that it doesn't care about the cause. The cause of pain is sin. Either your sin or someone else's sin. But the cause of the pain is sin. You've got to deal with the sin. Either humble yourself and repent and look to Christ and find his blood or go to the sinner and talk to him and give him the Bible and help him with the Bible. You don't command blessings. You don't speak blessings. This week, I'm on a chat group with these prosperity pastors in this town. And unbeknownst to me, I was out evangelizing and I gave a flyer and they said, Oh, so you're the person on the chat group. She's on the chat group too. If that's how I'm making my claim to fame. I should tell them, no, it's my wife. Because your picture's on my profile. (laughs) They put on the message this this week. Speak your blessing into existence. Just that simple thing. Speak your blessing into existence. And put it out there. I ignore a lot of rubbish, but I can't ignore that. The prosperity gospel says... Just find a way to get out of the pain. It's false humility. There's nothing real behind it. It's a lie. It's a sham. It's a trick. Mark number 4, verse 28. False humility promises but does not perform. Do you see that in verse 28? I will. I will. I promise you. I will. It will happen. Moses, I'm not lying. Cross my heart. Moses, it's the truth. Now you know it's the truth. It's the number seven. That's sacred to the Hebrews. So you know I won't lie now. False humility promises but does not perform. Pharaoh has promised five times to let them go. Or Pharaoh, total Pharaoh promises five times to let them go and then changes his mind. Chapter 8, verse 8. Chapter 8, verse 28. Right here, chapter 9, verse 28. Chapter 10, verse 10. And then chapter 10, verse 24. And he even lies a sixth time. Because after letting them go, we're going to see in chapter 14, verse 5. He chases them down and says, I changed my mind. You can't change your mind. You gave your word. False humility promises but does not perform. How many of us are in danger of false humility? We say that we love Jesus. We say that we're humble. We're willing to give a testimony. Are we willing to really serve the Lord? Are we really willing to give him our heart and our life and our soul? And like she said, get out of our comfort zone and evangelize. And pray for our friends and read the Bible with them every night. It is so easy to start reading the Bible with your kids. You start after three days and in two weeks you don't do it anymore. Not for three days. Not for three years. Not for 30 years. For three generations. That's how you need to be reading your Bibles. Oh, it's not hard to find someone who says, Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, let me give my testimony and say, Oh, yeah, now. Oh, I saw this. Now I'm ready. Now I'll be a Christian. But doesn't perform. 
That's why our Lord gave the parable in Matthew, I believe it's chapter 22. Do you remember this story? A certain man had two sons. And he said to the one son, go and work in my vineyard. And And the son said, I will not go. But then he changed his mind and went. And he said to the second son, go, go. And he said, oh, I'll go, I'll go. But he didn't go. Which of the two sons was more righteous? The one who actually did it. False humility is seen in our lives, isn't it? How many of us have made promises to God? I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be faithful to the prayer meeting. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to help. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And then we don't perform. But here's where the false humility comes in. How many of us secretly felt very good about ourselves when we first made the decision? We felt, yeah, I'm doing the right thing. I'm being humble. I'm doing what the Lord wants me to do. But very quickly we gave up on it. Mark number 5, verses 34 and 35. Look at verse 34. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart. He and his servants, and the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, neither would he let the children of Israel go. Mark number 5. False humility stops repenting when the threat is removed. Take away the threat... And you've taken away the humility or the repentance. That's false humility. How many times do we see that in the history of the world? If the threat is there, the country doesn't attack. When the threat is removed, the country attacks. Mark number 6, verse 34. False humility does not last. Verse 34. And when Pharaoh saw, when Pharaoh saw, as soon as he saw it, his humility was gone. Luke chapter 8, verse 13 has a remarkable line. It's the story of the four soils. You know that story, right? It's found in three Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have this story. But only Luke has this one little word. Luke 8.13 tells the story of the four soils. Soil number one is the soil on the road. And when the seed fell on the road, what happened? The birds came and ate it. And then the the seed fell among the rocks. And though it went down, it wasn't deep because there was this bedrock underneath and it couldn't get root. And the third soil, there's thorns. And in Luke 8, 13, it says, this is the one who believes, and here's what Luke has that no one else has, has this word, for a while. It's one word in Greek. Just for a little. Just for a little. He believes for this time. Then he says, I've grown out of that. Oh, I'm past that. Oh, I've, I've moved beyond that. False humility. Mark number seven. False humility rationalizes disobedience false humility rationalizes disobedience to rationalize means to make up excuses that sound like good logic go to chapter 14 verse 5 chapter 14 verse 5 And it was told to the king of Egypt that the people fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from what? 
Those two little words, serving us. He's thinking to himself, wait a minute. If we lose these two million people, we don't have any more garden boys. We don't have any more kitchen girls. Wait a minute. If we lose this, our standard of life goes down. Now I know I said I have sinned. I know I said the Lord is righteous and I and my people are wicked. I know I said I was going to do this, but let's look at the cost now. It's a few words. I have sinned. Versus losing my garden and my kitchen and my food and my comfort, my house and my cheap labor. Wait a minute. That can't be right. I'm going to break my own word. Everyone knows it's wrong to break your word. Everyone. Because they all get mad when other people do it to them. But he makes excuses for why he's going to disobey. Aren't we like that? Don't we rationalize our disobedience? Why is false humility particularly evil? I said there's four questions. This is question number two. Why is false humility particularly evil? Let me give you at least three reasons. It, open, it, it joins you with the worst people in history. Do you know the people in the Bible who said, I have sinned? Can you name some of them? I'm sure you can. There's eight people. Name some of them. Who said, I have sinned? Who said that in the Bible? I talked with you guys about it this week. Somebody else. What's that? Okay, uh, he, he confesses sin, but he never says the exact words, I have sinned. David. David says, I have sinned two times. And two more times in the Psalms, which means David says, I have sinned more than anyone else. And David is the only living good example. The other good example is the prodigal son. He said twice, I have sinned. In Jesus' story, Luke chapter 15, he says, I have sinned twice. And our brother's going to preach to us on that passage in a few weeks. We are eager to hear from the word of the Lord. Outside of David and the prodigal son, there's six other people in the Bible, and they all say it, and they're all lying. Who are they? Anyone know? Judas Iscariot, Judas Iscariot said, I have sinned, and then went out and hung himself. Who else? Peter didn't say it. Peter never said it. I, you, she just said David. Judas said it. Shimei said it. Do you remember Shimei? We studied him on Sunday mornings. We just saw him last Sunday morning. He's the man who cursed David. In fact, in our memory verse right now, 2 Samuel 16, 10. What have I to do with you, sons of Zariah? If he is cursing, who's the he? Shimei. Shimei was cursing David in 2 Samuel 16. And Solomon had to put him to death. But before Solomon puts him to death... He pretends to be repentant and says, I have sinned, I have sinned. But he was lying. Shimei curses David. But instead of really being sorry for his sin, Shimei meant, let me live in peace. Instead of Judas really being sorry for his sin, he meant, I feel ashamed. Four times Saul said, I have sinned. Actually, three times. The fourth time he said, I have done wickedly. I'll count that. I have done wickedly. I've sinned. Close enough. But each time Saul meant, I want you to think that I am a good man. Because Saul said those words in front of the people around him. Achan said, I have sinned. Do you remember Achan in Joshua chapter 7? When he stole the, the clothes and the gold. And Achan said, I have sinned. But what he really meant was, please don't kill me. Balaam, the prophet, said, I have sinned. But what he really meant was, the angel of the Lord terrifies me. Do you remember Balaam? In the book of Numbers, chapters 22 to 24. You're going to read about it this month. 
Balaam is the prophet that Balak, the king, says, I'm going to give you money to curse Israel. And so Balaam gets ready to curse Israel, and he's riding on his donkey, and the angel of the Lord stands in front of the donkey. And the donkey can see the angel, and Balaam cannot. So the donkey tries to turn and crushes his foot against the wall, and Balaam beats the donkey three times. And finally, the Lord opens the mouth of the donkey and puts a better sermon in the mouth of the donkey than in most pastors around here. He says, why are you beating me? Can't you see the angel? Balaam says, oh, there he is. And that's when he sees the angel and he says, I have sinned. Do you really think he's humble? Oh, we know he's not. Because the New Testament several times mentions Balaam. In the book of Jude, in the book of Revelation, it mentions Balaam as a false prophet who tried to take the money and curse Israel, but God wouldn't let him. So a little bit later, in the next chapter of the book of Numbers, the people of Israel fall to fornication. Balaam can't curse them, so he infiltrates them with sexual sin. What Balaam couldn't do through his wicked words, he's going to do through simple sin. Balaam also dies. He's killed by the Israelites. And Pharaoh said it as well. That's six men. All six of those men said, I have sinned. And they all lied. And they all were killed. They paid for their false humility and their other sins with their Lives. Do you want to join them? I have a catalog of names of people that I've met. Unusual names like Mpedziseni. But I just met my first ever yesterday. I met Judas. Honestly, do you want to be united with Judas? Think, do you want people to say, oh yeah, that's a guy, yeah, my, my, my father, he was a lot like Judas. He was a lot like Pharaoh. He was like Achan. People commonly use words in dishonest ways because it's easier to talk about integrity than to live with integrity. And that should go on some kind of Facebook sticker and pass that around. How many of us talk about integrity, but how few of us live with it? It's easy to say, I'm going to join the church. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. How many of us can live? That's another reason why I gave up the process of the altar call. Many years ago, I did altar calls all the time. I gave them up when I was about 24 years old. If you want to know why, you can search Seth Meyers' blog, Altar call. One more bad thing about the altar call is that it, it sets us up with false humility. We, we come forward and say, oh, I did this thing, therefore I'm sure. Oh, the battle's just starting. But the, what's communicated is, if you come forward and pray the prayer, the battle's done. You've done it. You did your good thing. No, you didn't. Oh, it's, it's not that difficult to come forward at a prayer, to raise my hand, oh, I want to do this. I want to know, can you live it day after day, month after month, week after week, when you're tired and exhausted, when the people double cross you, when someone cuts you off while you're driving, when your kids are so frustrating again, when the brother pushes his sister and pulls her hair, then can you still live with integrity? It's easier for prosperity preachers to say, speak faith, than it is to actually solve the hard problems brought on by sin. Words like these are cheap. They neither cost time to compose, nor do they reflect the serious change in the soul that humility brings. Uh, Why is false humility evil? Number one, because it puts you with a bunch of bad people. You don't want to be with them, do you? Reason number two that it's bad. It paves the way to a hard heart. Chapter 9, verse 34 His false humility in verse 27 made it very easy for him to do what in verse 35? Or verse 34, what does he do in verse 34? 
he hardened his heart. Three times the Bible records that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Eight times it records that God hardened his heart. But there's only three times that it records that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And if you're keeping track, five times it just says his heart was hardened and it doesn't tell you who did it. Eight times God, three times Pharaoh, five times it just happened. Chapter 9, verse 34, Pharaoh did it. There's only three times. This is one of them. In chapter 10, verse 16, Pharaoh has false humility again. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. Oh, forgive me, help me. You see, one of the terrible things about false humility is that it makes a hard heart very easy. Now, Pharaoh's heart was hardened repeatedly, but each one of those hardenings was a unique sin, just like each murder is a new sin. If someone murders one man, we call him a what? Murderer. But if someone kills five men, we don't treat all five murders as if they are the same action. It's five unique sins. Pharaoh hardened his heart repeatedly, and it was a sin every time, but it was made easier. It was paved, it was simple to get there. The door was open, it was rolling downhill when he had false humility. The pretense of his confession made it very easy to say, I'm not going to do that. Third demonstration that false humility is particularly evil because it opens the door to many other sins. Let me just give you three other sins that it opens the door to. Procrastination. Procrastinate. Do you know that word? Procrastinate means to put off a duty. You should get baptized. Oh, I'll do it later. You should get up. Oh, I'll get up in a little bit. You should tell your brother about Jesus Christ. I'll get around to it. Procrastination. Putting it off. It's a duty that you should do. I'll do it later. I'll take care of it at another time. Pharaoh procrastinates. He puts off the duty. I should truly humble myself. I really should let them go. I'll do it later. False humility opened the door because when he said to himself, oh, I have sinned, he thought the real heart work of really repenting, I can do that later because I've done enough right now. Sin number two, bad judgment. We've already seen it, but in Exodus chapter 14, verses five to eight, you can say foolishness if you want just one word. And foolishness is a sin because in the book of Proverbs, fools are beaten. In Exodus 14, verses 5 to 8, Pharaoh has very foolish judgments. He says, let's chase after the Israelites and destroy them. Have you forgotten what they did to you? Have you forgotten the ten plagues? They've been gone two days. How short is your memory, Pharaoh? False humility. Brought along with it very bad judgment. He surrounds himself by fools who make more of the same problems. Oh, look what we can do. Here, here, we'll take good water and turn it into blood as well. Look what we can do. Here, here, we can, we can make more frogs. If you were a thoughtful man, what would you say? I don't need more blood. I need more water. I don't need more frogs. I need you to make the frogs smaller. If, if Pharaoh's wise, when the people go away, he would say, 
We need to find some way to take care of all the dead bodies from all these ten plagues. Instead, what does he say? I got an idea. They only beat us ten times. I'm sure on the eleventh time we can beat them. Oh, eleven's a prime number. I'm sure it'll work. What was his thinking? Bad judgment. Sin number three. Hypocrisy. False humility opens the doorway to hypocrisy. To proclaim yourself as virtuous. To think yourself as better than you are. To think yourself deserving divine favor. Honor. What can we do with those who show false humility? Let me give you just three pieces of advice for when you find other people who show false humility. Number one, be faithful to your calling regardless of their foolishness. That's exactly what Moses did, right? In fact, look at verse number 29. Moses said to Pharaoh, As soon as I'm gone out of the city, I will spread abroad my hands to the Lord, and the thunder will cease, there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servant, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord. Did Moses stop? I already know that you're a trickster. But me, I'm not going to change. I'll pray for you. I'll take away the pain. I'm going to do my calling. Be faithful to your calling when you see others with false humility. Be faithful to your calling when you see others who profess to be Christian, but don't live it. Who profess to do great things, but you think that's, they're, they're not really doing that. Be faithful to your calling when you see false humility. Number two, give them the third and fourth warning passages in the book of Hebrews. If you see someone with false humility... Love them enough to give them the Bible. Do you know the warning passages in the book of Hebrews? You should after having read the book last month. There are five. Two, four, six, ten, twelve. Those are the chapters in the book of Hebrews that have warning passages. For time, I'm not going to turn there. You know what? Let's forget time. We chose to sing all four verses, right? Open your Bible to Hebrews 6. Give them the third and the fourth warning passages. Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10. These are specially directed at people who would have spiritual pride. Hebrews 6. Have you ever noticed this passage of scripture? It is terrifying. Because it sounds at first like it might be you. But it sounds at the end like you hope it's not you. Let's read this passage. Hebrews 6 verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. Is that you? Are you enlightened? And have tasted of the heavenly gift. Is that you? Have you tasted the heavenly gift? Verse 4. We're made partakers of the Holy Spirit. Is that you? Have you taken part of the Holy Spirit? Verse 5. And have tasted the good word of God. Is that you? Have you tasted the Bible? Verse 5. Number 5. You have tasted the powers of the world to come. Is that you? Have you sometimes thought about heaven and thought that it was wonderful? There's five marks. Verses 4 and 5. Have you ever felt like that? I have tasted the word of God. Been made a partaker of the Holy Spirit. Had your eyes enlightened. Tasted the heavenly gift. Thought about the world to come. But then look what happens to them in verse 6. If they fall away. It's impossible to renew them again to repentance. Why? Because what do they do? 
they do something that cannot be forgiven. What do they do? They crucify the Son of God to themselves a second time and put Him to an open shame. You hope that verse 6 is not you, but you think verses 4 and 5 are you. People with false humility are dangerously close to verse 6. And whoever reaches verse 6, verses 7 and 8 will follow right on their heels. Look at verse 7. For the earth which drinks in the rain that comes off and on it, and brings forth herbs for them who, for whom it is dressed, receives blessing from God. But that which bears thorns and briars is rejected, is nigh to cursing. The end of thorns is to be what? Burned. That is speaking about hell. What a terrible, terrible future. What a terrible warning. People with false humility are dangerously close to verse 6. Falling away. Crucifying to themselves the Son of God a second time. Go to chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 26. Chapter 10, verse 26. If we sin in what way? What's the adverb that describes our sin in verse 26? On purpose. Willfully. Lloyd, what does the ESV say? Deliberately. On purpose. If we sin that way, after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there's no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain, a definite, terrible expectation of judgment and fiery punishment, which will devour all of the enemies. The one who despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. How much worse will the punishment be to the one who is trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the new covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and has done despot under the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance belongs to me, I will pay back, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What should you do if you find someone with false humility? Tell them about these passages. Maybe they will wake up. What should you do? Guard yourself. This is the third piece of advice. What do you do if you find someone who pretends to be a Christian but isn't? Pretends to be a godly person but you know the truth. They pretend to be a good person but you know they aren't. Number one, be faithful to your calling. Number two, give them the third and fourth warning passages. Number three, guard yourself. What do I mean by that? I mean, do not be tricked by their words and do not let their sin affect you. Point number four, and we close with this. What can we do if we find false humility in ourselves? What can we do if we find it in ourselves? Before I give you four pieces of advice, I'm going to give you one, two, three, four in this. Before I do, let me just ask you, Have you ever taken time to look into your own heart? Friends, you will find false humility there. Because if you've ever truly been humble, as soon as you're humble, what does the devil put in your heart? Oh, I'm being humble. He'll put pride at your own humility right in your heart. If you don't know that, I don't think you've worked very hard at this virtue of humility. Brothers and sisters, false humility is a great danger. Humility, as C.S. Lewis says, is the one virtue that when a man knows he has it, he's in danger of losing it. 
It's particularly dangerous. Most of us want to be humble, and in ourselves we think, I'm a pretty humble guy. You're in danger of false humility. Four pieces of advice. If you ever see it in yourself, number one, pray. Ask God for a soft heart, for a sensitive heart. I didn't say for a humble heart. I said for a soft heart. Because if you really have a soft and sensitive heart, that will allow you to see the pride when it comes in. Number two, think about the end of those with false humility. Chapter 14, verse 18 says, So the sea covered the Egyptians. Remember the end of people with false humility. Remember Judas in Acts chapter 1 it says when he hung himself the rope broke and he fell down on some rocks and all of his innards came out. Remember the end of those with false humility. Advice number three. Memorize and pray Verses on humility. This year we're memorizing the verses on humility. If you're over 60, we understand if you're trying and it's hard. Most of you aren't. Why don't you know all five? Watch out! False humility is going to get you. Memorize these verses and pray. Pray them in the morning. Oh God, help me. This one right here, 2 Samuel 16.10. When a hardship comes, Lord, help me not to be angry that a hard thing has come into my life. Help me to talk like David and to say, maybe God wants this hardship in my life. Instead of, Lord, today when a hard thing, a hard thing's going to happen, that person's going to talk to me in a bad way, or my children aren't going to do the right thing, or I'm going to lose some money. Help me today to respond humbly, to respond like David and to say, perhaps the Lord said to him, Talk rudely to her, or take that money from him, or do that thing. Pray the verses on humility. Memorize them. Praying them, by the way, will help you to memorize them. I rarely forget verses when I pray over them. Point number four, last point. How can we, what can we do if we find false humility? Number four, mark the examples of true humility in your Bible. I've done that in my Bible for several years now. Just put an H beside 